0: You're listening to a podcast from www.aussierwriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books.
1: Ford Street Publishing. I am in the most amazing place called Ford Street Publishing and I have finally, finally tracked down... Paul Collins, who is the owner and runs this wonderful publishing company. Welcome. Thank you, Suzanne. Paul, I, um, you have the most amazing array of books and I see mostly children and young adults. Please tell me your background in terms of your own writing.
0: Well, I didn't actually read as a kid. Um, I read a lot of comics. I read um, Marvel Group comics, and uh, you know Captain America and Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, Daredevil, all that lot. And um, I remember there wasn't a, a book in our house. In fact, on one occasion, I did see a Green Spine Penguin title. Right. I think it was All Stanley Gardner. I saw it on a sideboard on one occasion. I do remember, and I thought to myself, "What's that book doing there?" It was just totally alien to our house,
1: right?
0: And of course,
1: was this in Australia? Did you grow up in Australia? No, I
0: grew up in uh, well, England, and then New Zealand, and then here. Right. So at that particular time, um, none of my family read basically, and when I said to extraordinary,
1: m- isn't, yeah, isn't it? it? Isn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I'm the last person you'd expect to have become a, a writer and publisher, but I remember when my uh, I left school at fifteen. Right. my father said well what are you gonna do he wanted me to get into a trade he insisted I get into a trade which I did try I was a, a clicker and a right. clicker is a person who makes luggage you know they they have the, um, the, the spot press and they do all the studs oh, and all that right. sort of stuff and uh, anyway I that lasted three, three um, months I think I had a probation period and then I I begged out so I didn't want to do a trade but anyway my father said to me okay what do you want to do I said I want to be a writer and God knows where that came from. But he laughed because he thought that you had to be a university-educated person to become a writer. You know, writers, you never met writers in those days. No. They go into schools all the time now, and you dime a dozen. But back in those days, you always had sort of... They were were on a pedestal, Yeah, they were on a pedestal. You you didn't meet authors. And, uh, of course, they made millions of dollars, which we now know isn't true. (laughs) So, um, anyway... He said, no, you'll never be a writer. Well, about 20 years down the track after I'd had about 30 or 40 books published, I said to him, Dad, do you remember telling me I'd never be a writer? He said, well, I don't remember that, Paul, but if I did, it's because I knew you'd set out to prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Great save. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it was. So um, anyway, I I did persist. I self-published a book um, called Hot Lead, Cold Sweat, and uh, thankfully there aren't any copies of that around now. I've got about five copies hidden away somewhere in a safe, I think, and, um, it's frightening, isn't it, isn't when it? you
1: read your first book? Oh, I have I the same. I, 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 and we didn't have e-books, so you couldn't fix it. So it's just a, it's an eyesore. <laughs> now, well, I know it's not
0: in the National Library, because somehow they found out about it, and they wrote to me and said, we want proof that this book was published. And, of course, I thought, well, I don't care whether you want proof or not, but, OK, I'll scan the cover. And I, I scanned the cover, and they said, we don't have a copy of this book at the National mm-hmm. Library. And I thought, no, you're not going to get one either. <laughs> and I just wrote back and said, I've got one, and that's it. I never heard from them again, but I, uh, there was proof that um, I did actually publish that book. So how I got into to writing was basically by self-publishing my first book. Big mistake. Um, because if you, haven't you got distribution, were before
1: your time, weren't you? I was, you? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I was, I was I about mean, 19 the- or
0: 20 at the time.
1: And, wow. and self-publishing wasn't wasn't no, a many, thing no, at not all. Not many
0: people did that, and why I thought I could do it, I don't it's know.
1: Extraordinary.
0: But yeah. um, I had the money to do it, so I, I did it. And um, yeah, the funny thing was that I didn't fall into the trap of not having distribution first. Many people who self-publish fall into the trap of not getting distribution first. There's no point in, in printing fifteen hundred copies of your book or three thousand copies of your book if you can't get it into the shops. They seem to think they can just walk into bookshops and the bookshops will take it. That's not the case. No, I had a bookshop, and y- you just don't. Yeah, too much paperwork. Yes, and you know, uh, there is that sort of feeling that if it's good enough, it'll be published by a major publisher, which isn't always right. Major publishers—it is changing stuff now. Up.
1: It is changing now. It's, there's, it's, there's more and more good quality coming out. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm going
0: back. I'm going back 40 years. Yes. Um, so at that time, yeah, it was pretty hard. So. I didn't fall in for that trap. I had uh, Gordon and Gotch accept to publish uh, distribute wow. this book if I published it. I published it, went in there, and they didn't like the cover. In fact, I remember the quote. He said, we wouldn't put that on our toilet wall. That was the quote from uh, Gordon and Gotch, which I thought was a bit harsh. There was nothing really bad. It's slightly racy, perhaps. It was a Western novel, um, but it, it wasn't that bad. It was a professional piece of yes. art. It was just yes. um, had a girl and a, a bloke on the cover. But anyway... Um, So I learnt my mistake. New newspapers did distribute in Queensland, but um, I didn't have mass distribution. So I I moved on to um, publishing a magazine called Void. It was the only science fiction magazine in the country at the time. And meanwhile, I thought, well, I'll try my hand at writing. But I knew I wasn't good enough at the time to, to put my own stories in the magazine. So I didn't publish anything of mine back then. And um, I lost the distributor there. I wasn't selling enough copies of it. I think we were selling about 1,000 copies, which by today's standards wouldn't be that bad, really. But back then, it wasn't that good. So then I started going into um, hardcover anthologies, because I had about 300 subscribers. So I thought, well, okay, I don't want to give up 300 subscribers. So I put three issues of the magazine in a hardcover, because I could get hardcovers distributed. And I did about, I don't know, four or five anthologies. Right. At that point, I published Australia's first fantasy novels, um, way be, 10 years before Macmillan published uh, Mark Middleton's Circle of Light, I think it was. Yeah. Publishers in those days were not interested in science fiction or fantasy, and that's what I was doing. There was another small as war publishing science fiction called Australia Press, so there were two of us in the early 80s. Gosh. and. Um, Anyway, I did about 16 books until my distributor decided to um, disappear on me, owing me money and all my stock. I published A. Bertram Chandler's last uh, science fiction novel. Wow. That would have been about 84, 1984. And at that point, I thought, "Hmm, okay, I'm going to start." You distributed,
1: disappeared with your yeah,
0: stock. Yeah, um, for the record, his name was Buddy Reed, hewer Power Books, and he just disappeared. Oh, and no. um, I phoned his home, and his mother said to me, "I don't know why you people are hassling me." And I said, "Well, oh, he's I just don't. run off owing a lot of people money. That's probably why they're phoning you." Oh, that's shocking. <laughs> never found him. And uh, so sorry for
1: his mother. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Well,
0: I never got the books back either, so yeah. I lost. I lost all of that stock, and um, at that point I thought, well, I'm going to start writing now. And it took me 10 years, but um, in '95, HarperCollins published my first book, which was *The Wizard's Torment*. Right. And um, and that I was on my way then. So for about 20 years, I was publishing about between eight and 10 books a year. Not all thick books, but you know, some of them were of chapter your books. own. Yeah, yeah. I I think I've been published by just about every major publisher in Australia. That's yeah. great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I was very prolific. Um, not necessarily a bestseller, I must admit, but um, prolific. So Bestseller uh, isn't everything. It's not everything. It's well, not everything. No. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: tell my clients. I've, but...
0: I've survived quite well. <laughs> yes,
1: that's great. And so, um, so you were self-publishing your own books and then... Had... Well, I
0: self-published one book. Oh, right. Back then. That was um, that was when I was about, I don't know, 19 or 20 or something. I right. published uh, my own book. But then I published other people's books. I didn't publish. When did, yeah, when my did own you books.
1: start? This is what I want to know. When did you start publishing other people's books?
0: Oh, that was in 1981, 82. I wow. published about 16, 16 books for adults so as science fiction and fantasy. Uh, they were the only books being published in the country. And as I said, the first fantasy novels published, I, I published. Um, Oh, well, there was Keith Taylor, uh, David Lake, and Russell Blackford. And they all went on right. to bigger and better things after, but yes. um, I was the um, the first publisher of fantasy novels in, right. in the country. Yeah. And then I, I didn't start publishing again until Macmillan told me they would distribute me. It's the only thing I was lacking before. It wasn't the, the uh, enthusiasm. The distribution channels, yes. Distribution. If you haven't got distribution in those days, you, know, you mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And um, then I was just writing for a long time, and I had about 150-odd books published by other people. And then I, um, when I found out that Macmillan would distribute if I published the Quintaras Chronicles, which Michael Pryor and I put together, and Lothian published about 30 of those. Um, they were taken out by Transworld, I think, who was then taken out by, well, it might have been Time Warner, actually, who bought out Lothian books. And then they were taken out two weeks later by Ashet. So Australia's longest serving independent publisher was taken over twice within about uh, two or three weeks. Mm. And of course, New Broom sweeps Clean, and uh, unfortunately, we met with the, the Ashet National Sales Manager, and she was going to do wonders for Quintaris Chronicle. She was going to do this, that, and Michael and I w- walked out of that meeting with our chest pumped out, very big cheesy grins on our face, thinking we've got a major publisher behind us now. Uh, unfortunately, she left. <laughs> <laughs> this does happen in publishing companies, doesn't, doesn't it? And
1: that's yep. uh, and they're not necessarily going to the next one's not necessarily going to love your work. <laughs> that's right. Well,
0: they, they didn't. They they wiped the series. So um, then I I said to Macmillan, well, if I if I publish the Quintars because they were the, the distributors of Lothian at the time, um, they said, yeah, sure. And that's what got me into publishing. 2007, that was. I started publishing. Um, other people's books. I think I've published about ninety books now.
1: That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we're in two thousand and sixteen. How many a year, on average, are you publishing?
0: On average, between ten and twelve. Between ten and twelve. How many submissions do you get? When I wasn't open to um, unsolicited material, I would probably get well, maybe a couple, a few every month because I'd say I'm not open to submissions on the website, so people must have been taking notice of that. So I didn't get many. Since um, oh, about two or three months ago, I opened it up to submissions, and now I get um, oh, probably about eight a week, which isn't huge. But, it's not, uh, it's manageable. Small it's manageable, manageable because I have um, wonderful interns who come in and help, and they do fantastic assessments. Some are very good at giving assessments and um i actually send those assessments to the authors and about fifty percent of them write back and say thank you very very much for this it was wonderful you are the best publisher in the world because you're giving me free assessments um and half of them don't reply so i think "Mm, probably didn't hit a good chord with the (laughs) other half not everyone can take criticism
1: no although in my experience it's interesting the um i've had clients who are very uh very experienced and established writers they're very open to criticism yeah. it's usually the new writer who, who's a, yes. you know, an early career writer um, who finds it very they're very precious about their work that's right yeah and, yeah. and, that, and they're, they're the
0: least likely to to really be like that but that's that's the way it goes you know yeah. if they can't yeah. take criticism they'll they'll never make it because they'll be considered high maintenance authors Yes. And there are quite a few high-maintenance people out there who I don't really want to deal with.
1: No, no, that's no. exactly right. Life's and neither short. do and most publishers. So you, you're doing uh, all these books for other people. How many are you writing yourself each year?
0: I've slowed down considerably, I have to say. Um, last year, I don't, don't think I really did anything. Um, this year... Well, last year, I had Rich and Rare, the anthology, come out, and that was a no Which is a fantastic
1: book. I have to tell you, if you love short stories to the listeners um, who are readers and writers, uh, please do get Rich and Rare because it's full of the most incredible stories. I I really take my hat off to you. I, I thought it was a wonderful book. Thank it you. It is a
0: wonderful book. Yeah, well, we were hoping for a shortlisting in the CBCs. We we did get a notable. There are only about yes. sixteen notable books this year in the um, secondary division, and uh, Rich and Rare was one of them. So um, yeah, that was. That it's was good. a
1: very difficult um, um, thing to 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 get noted. You know, in in the ah, CBC. I, is, I yeah. actually interviewed a couple of weeks ago one of the judges. Oh, yeah, So I yeah. got a bit of an insight into yeah. into that. But that so
0: it, that that helped with um, Sean Tan too. Did the cover, so that was going, that was a, a huge. Fabulous. And he didn't really even How charge me for it. How did you get
1: Sean Tan to do that? Well, I've
0: I'd, i I'd known Sean for a long time. He used to be um, one of the little illustrators who would illustrate for for nothing, um, fanzines and the science fiction small press magazines, and he was um, very passionate about what he was doing, and he. Um, he, he was known by a guy called Stephen Paulson who sold a book to Gary Cruz After Dark series at Lothian Books. Right. And uh, Stephen Paulson put forward um, Sean, and um, for The Stray Cat it was called. And right. I think Sean Tan's first book, professionally published book anyway, was um, Stephen Paulson's short, um, Stray Cat. Great. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's wonderful. So, that? um,
0: so I, I knew him from way back then. And uh, every anthology I do, I just, uh, I was asking him to do a frontispiece or a story. He did a story in *Rich and Rare as well. And and the the pay isn't that crash-hot because, you know, you're publishing about 50 authors in the one anthology. I mean, if you paid everybody the ASA rates, you you just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So, no, he was very generous. And um, when I told him I'd like to use his frontispiece for the actual cover, he said, well, in that case, I'd better colour it for you and he did
1: oh isn't that he's wonderful. a very generous very person. generous soul but um I, I should imagine uh, he doesn't want unsolicited <laughs> approaches oh, um, no. for, for i think i think yeah our, i think our your, friendship your relationship did that so yes. please don't approach sean and try and get him to work for nothing because i don't think that that's <laughs> fair no. um so you've had a lot of wonderful successes. What would be some of your aha moments if you think about your, your publishing career to up until today? What are the standouts that, you know, those moments where where you thought, oh, this is so good?
0: Um, well, I think Ford Street's best-selling book would be um, an anthology called Trust Me. In fact, the, the anthologies, Barring book club sales, because book club sales can skew the uh, the results of the uh, how many sales you have, but without book club sales, I think um, that is the best selling title. Um, that was a, uh, my first anthology at Ford Street. Right. Then we did Trust Me Two. That's sort of lagging a bit behind, and of course then Rich and Rare. And Rich and Rare, I think that's got the potential to overtake, trust me, because that's still selling yeah. every, every month, huge sales coming through. So, when I say huge, huge for a small press. Yes. So, um, they were good. Um, with the other books, there have been a few titles that I've um, really enjoyed doing. Uh, the Gary Crew books sell quite well. Um, so, really, I suppose if you ask me success stories, it's the sales really that come down to it, if, if you want. Yes. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a commercial person. Well, um, you have to survive, don't you? <laughs> you have to survive. So don't the...
1: don't make apologies for making a living. I think <laughs> I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand, and particularly mm-hmm. in relation to authors, I get very upset when librarians or teachers say, "I'll oh, come and come and do it for the children," and I think, well, you know, if you do your job for the children, then <laughs> well, this you know, is exactly th- this is exactly a problem that right. that's. that's uh, authors need to take a stand on you know because they need to they deserve a living as much as anybody else so you know well this
0: is what i do point out to some people like as a publisher every every few weeks i get some school emailing me saying oh our children would love your your books because their library was uh, water damaged all the books are water damaged or we had a fire go through here or yep. something and i think you know i, I just I have to get back to them. I say, well, you know, as a publisher, I don't really make a living. You know, if you yes. want to go per hour, I'm probably on about $3 an hour. Yeah. And if I want to start giving out all my books for free, I wouldn't even be on that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, people don't understand. They, they think, oh, you've got all these books and you, you, you've got them to give away. Mm. Got to make a living, fine. You have to. That's, like, yeah, that's you know, exactly if your right. Your neighbour's a carpenter. You wouldn't yeah. say, "Come over and build a house for me." No, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, so uh, there have been some great successes. What about low moments? You know, where where your back's to the wall, and you think, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this." Oh, that's I think of
0: that good. all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I like, suppose that that stock disappearing would have been one.
0: Yeah, yeah that, that would have been a, a low. Um, losing your distributor um, is always a low and I've lost a couple over the years for various reasons. Um, because you're not big enough? Is that is that the problem with stri- distributors? No, I mean one disappeared as I said. Um, another one went bankrupt. Um, oh, no. he, his, his crowd was called Book People and that was about the 80s. He just yeah. um, folded and I don't think he owed me any money so that was mm. okay. Um, then of course Gordon and Gotch reneging on the agreement to to do that self-published book, that was a pretty low moment because I thought I had all that covered and I didn't Um, books, every now and again you publish a book that you think is good obviously you're not going to publish it unless you thought it was good Uh, I've had a couple that um, have sold like 300 copies and for the life of me I don't know why Why? one of them was a gift book looking thing and I think the distributor didn't know what to do with it or the bookshops didn't know what to do with it so they they couldn't categorise it they couldn't put in a little category in its little box and I think the schools didn't pick up on it because they thought it was sort of slightly too adult
1: I think, um, tell me if you agree
0: um, I think that 5,000
1: copies is considered a bestseller in Australia, isn't
0: it? Well, the guy from BookScan um, recently disputed that because he was pointing out books that sell way, way more than that. So, yeah, I'm I'm in two minds about that now. I used to think 5,000... That was the standard, wasn't it?
1: 5,000 is a bestseller.
0: Yeah, but according to BookScan, that's not quite the case. You see some of these books are selling like tens of thousands of dollars, uh, copies. So it's still
1: um, best sellers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah,
0: it's yeah interesting um, too, isn't that? Yeah, that yeah. sort of threw a, a cat among the pigeons there with that one. Well, with the book
1: statistics, I know that um, uh, someone pointed out to me. You know, you look at the statistics and and what Amazon's selling, etc. Um, the ebook industry in particular is is not very accurate because a lot of people sell from their website and they don't use Amazon and all
0: these others, so, That's so right. I
1: think the statistics are very difficult to harness.
0: Well, well it's the same again with Bookscan, um, you know Bookscan will say well this is how many uh, are selling in the bookshops, but they're not taking into account how many books are selling by um, say book clubs. A book yes. club used to be able to, they, ASO for instance, were taking like 4,000 copies of a book, whereas Bookscan might only register 500 copies through the bookshops that's yes. not that's not accurate because yeah. you're actually selling 4500 or whatever yeah um, these days they'll still take you know 1100 1500 copies of a book so they're not registered by BookScan. scan so there's a huge market out there the education market is for children's books um, bigger the really than the trade so you actually yes. sell more to education and municipal libraries they're not taken into account either really so, I'm surprised so, No, I think book scan is only with bookshops.
1: Right, right, so, so it's, it's only um, one That's part only of one market. of the three. three that's yeah. really interesting. Hmm. So um, what about e-books, Paul? Are you, are you producing e-books? Are you looking at going there? We what,
0: are. Um, what's I, your plan? I have, I have um, one of my former interns, Gemma, comes in every now and again as a freelance, and she organises all the e-books, and she puts them on various platforms. And I think the trick there is if you can get them converted cheaply enough or you can get it for about 20 cents a page which might sound a fair bit but it's not it's not really that much i mean the average book's about 70 80 dollars mm. um and if you can put that on enough platforms say overdrive amazon barnes noble, Baker mm. and noble bacon taylor and all mm. those bain sony etc mm. um it all it all adds up and you mm. like of course it does. even if you're only making five dollars say you're only selling two or three copies from each of those every month you're yes. soon going to make back your 70 or 80 bucks
1: yeah, that's right. And, um, that's right. I've already well, we got usually, the We usually um, course. for my clients we just we just get uh, we pay it depends on the size of the book of course, but you know, on average about two hundred dollars for all the different formats, you know, and 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 mm. very professionally done. So
0: yeah. Yeah, So Well, so some um, people can do it themselves. I mean, it's yeah. not rocket science, apparently. You can,
1: but, well, but but you know it depends on how you want to use your time. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> this, one of my
0: interns um, said, oh, I can do that, and she did. And there were a few bugs in doing that, and in the end I, I thought to myself, look, I might as well just pay $80 and be done with it and get the thing done. But, um, yeah, she used to just... Um, she converted some of our books mm. for us.
1: So your interns come from, uh, what What courses are they doing? Um, RMIT,
0: RMIT um, like yeah. uh, Victoria University, yeah. uh, Deakin, Monash, uh, the, uh, the, about probably the top four, yeah. and um, and some of them are very good, mm. and mm. they it's stay good. on.
1: It's a win-win thing because they you, you're, you're helping them, they, they're learning about the industry. And well,
0: they have to do so many hours, some of them have to do like yes. 100 hours um, yes. practical placement. And uh, it works for me because um, this is where I find a lot of the freelancers I'm using right now are former interns. And, wow. of course, then they get jobs and then they can't do it anymore. But meanwhile, yeah. more are coming through. So um, yeah. then I just um, I employ former interns yeah. because I know they're very good.
1: That's good. And so uh, what are you working on right now?
0: <laughs> right now, um, I'm working on a rewrite of a book I published years ago with Lothian. I had about, I don't know, uh, if you count Quintaris, probably about uh, th- over 30 books published with, with Lothian. Mm-hmm. And it was a book called The Dog King, which was a notable book in the CBCs. And um, a lot of people really loved it. And I've completely rewritten it. So now it's in a diary format, Rum-ish. which it wasn't back then. I've also written um, some extra stories for it. Nice. So it's... Um, That's the project I'm on at the moment. And that's for
1: young adult or...?
0: Um, yeah, probably middle years. Middle years.
1: You're not interested in writing for adults at all?
0: I did write a book 30-odd years ago called The Beckoning. It was a horror set in Warrnambool and it didn't sell. It was long-listed, etc., but it didn't actually sell. And then Damnation Books were advertising for horror books and I thought, well, I've got The the Beckoning, I'll send that off. And um, they they accepted it and they published it. I don't think I made much money from it, so <laughs> I think what do they call those lost leaders? Um, got my name out there for a while. It was actually number seven on one of the the occult thriller page, I think, on on yes. Amazon. It was yes. like Stephen King was number one with what Doctor Death, I think it was Fantastic.
1: called. Fantastic. Yeah,
0: but you know that's
1: impressive, Paul. Yeah. And I <laughs> that's made it on really number good.
0: thirty-five on one of their other pages, and I still didn't make much money for it. So I, thought, mm, I well, I guess do.
1: I guess the lesson for our uh, our new newly emerging writers is that uh i tell them that you can't make you don't expect to write one book and make a fortune (laughs) you need to write many 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 books yes and you need to earn income from uh, a variety of sources all to do with writing you can you can be an authorpreneur but it needs to involve lots of different
0: streams of income well that's exactly what i do yeah. Um, I've got yeah. four, I run four businesses from this place. Oh, do you um, tell us. What right, are the okay, four well, I, businesses? I, I write still. I had yes. three plays published with Pearson, and um, yes. I might have mentioned that two, two anthologies or collections right. with Scholastic uh, next year right. uh, with my partner, Meredith Costain. Um Who is a wonderful author. I've interviewed her. Oh. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so I've got those happening. Um, I also run a speakers' agency called Creative Net. Uh, I've got about 150 or 140 uh, people I represent around Australia.
1: Are you taking submissions from that? Uh,
0: I'm not actively looking for more people because you've got too many people and I think um, librarians go to the website and they think, oh I don't know a lot of these names. I mean, obviously I take someone really well known, um, lesser known people, it's just um, too many names on on the website I think, Right. um, Right. so it can be a bit of a problem. But, it's hard um, for
1: people breaking in, though. It you is. Know, if they're a really good writer and yeah. would be a good presenter, um, mm. you might but, be missing out taught, on some, yeah, Paul. Might be. <laughs> might be. <laughs> I'll the, talk to you about a couple of them. <laughs> okay. I've
0: got the publishing, of course. Yes. And um, I also run um, events in schools. I run literary festivals, yes. so I do a bit of event managing and we have seminars. Um, we had a Keeping Books Alive seminar uh, a couple of weeks ago. Right. at Dell Heights um, Secondary mm-hmm. College. They uh, opened up their auditorium for us and we had, a, um, we had about 80 or 90 teacher librarians come there. And, uh, Fabulous. Yeah, so, yeah, really yeah good. but my point being, uh, the publishing is the one I probably make the least money on and spends 80% of my time. All the others right. are my time, but no outlay. Right. So yes. um, if I want to publish, I've got to do those other things, which I enjoy doing. Yes, but exactly as you said, you know, it's all to do with publishing and writing. But they yes. all and they all complement one another.
1: Yes, I, I have a very similar business model that I that I do a number of things and run events and all literary <laughs> focused. Um, but I think yeah, that's the secret and that's what people need to understand that being an entrepreneur means doing. All sorts of things, uh, you know, around your writing of your books. Mm. Um, So have you got any advice for anyone who might be thinking of becoming a small press publisher?
0: Don't do it. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, okay. I mean, the, the first thing you do, obviously, is to see if you can get distribution. And there's absolutely not not much point if if you um, aren't going to get distribution unless you're an ebook publisher. I was just In going to case,
1: say, ebooks are a yeah. bit
0: different because the content drives you know drives the or, books Or ups. even even print on demand. Yes. So if you've got no outlay and you're doing that, that that's fine. Anyone can do Trouble that. The
1: problem with print on demand is that the. Um the royalty is not very high. No, but <laughs> That's then you're know, the trouble.
0: Then again, you could print um, 1,200 copies and, and get them distributed, and only sell 300. So, you know, you have to weigh these
1: things up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, it's very, exactly very right.
0: Interesting. But yeah, yeah. if you want to be a publisher in a small press, or even a vanity uh, press, or um, even if you're a partnership yeah. publishing house where um, people come in and they, they fork out half the money towards publishing yeah. the book, so you're not going to lose, yes. but you still need distribution. Yes, and that's that's, um, right. that's the one stumbling block to becoming a publisher if you're doing print traditional publishing, mm. um, and persistence. Um, mm. Let's face it, just because you're a small press doesn't mean you're not getting good books in. If you Google, that's for right. instance, um, classics plus rejection letters, you will see some corkers there. Some of the yes. world's best-selling, most loved books yes. were rejected. That's right. Umpteen dozen times. Um, yes. One of the ones I'll always remember is um, Joe Haldeman's The Forever War. Um, it was rejected, I think, by 19 publishers, uh, so the story goes. And um, it won the Hugo and Nebula for memory. And yes. And all these so-called professional science fiction publishers knocked it back.
1: <laughs> well, even Fifty Shades of Grey was knocked back.
0: <laughs> well, Harry, Harry Potter's and another. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, yes, that's uh, right. 10 so, or 11 publishers. So you
1: need to believe in yourself and, um, and uh, work through it.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, it's a chook raffle. You know, yeah. um, any one yeah. of the books I've published could suddenly become a bestseller. I only need one, that's and that's right. going to lift the whole lot up. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, I haven't really had anything that's gone through the roof yet, but, um, yeah. yeah, the chances It'll are come. one day.
1: It'll come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Paul, what of the future for you Um you know, do you have any, any grand plans that you want to reveal? <laughs>
0: um, no, I think I'll be um, going along happily the way I am. Uh, I've just come back from nine days in Rockhampton, going yes. into schools, um, part of what I was talking about before, the with literary festivals. writers, yes. Yeah, I, I went up there with about nine other authors, and we went into um, oh, about seven different schools and what have you, and uh, spoke to all the students and... Um, so that's that's good fun. Just that gets me out of here. Otherwise, I am here seven days a week. Yes. And I think that's um, in answer to your earlier question about you know any tips. You, you've got to be prepared to put in long hours. Yes. I don't yes. work. I don't think I work hard. I got. I work a lot of hours. I'm, well, I'm here week. well, days the thing, thing is,
1: if you love what you do, it's not so bad. That's right. You I know, don't, it's quite. I don't think of it as work.
0: You're compelled to do it. I used know. to do security work in hotels to support my writing, and wow. um, I said to the um, one of the owners. Um, at the hotel I said I can't believe you pay me to do this job (laughs) because all you do is stand on the door talk all night. I "I had a fun time, I had a great time I did that for years and years and years.
1: That's fantastic
0: Yeah. So sometimes you you don't even have to have a part time job in the field that you'd like to be successful in you've got to have money coming in basically. You know
1: Craig Cormick said to me something uh, when I interviewed him that really made a lot of sense and that was that having uh, a part-time job means a lot more experiential things to draw on to be a better writer Mm. he said I don't think that I would ever want to be a full-time writer he said because I enjoy, well he's a scientist so he's got a great science job yeah. part-time and he said I really enjoy that work and I draw on a lot of it for my writing and mm. he said that experiential being outside of the, the, the writing <laughs> you know writing room I think mm. is is good that made sense to me
0: yeah you've got to get out out there every now and again You yeah. you know it's all very well saying you work from home and uh, you don't do anything else, but um, gee, I, I'd find that rather boring, actually.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, we're, uh, of course, publishing his uh, Volder, the Viking and the Ghostly Goths. In fact, I think it's already out now. Yeah. So that's, um, that's going to go really well, I think. And his Excellent. daughter, Hannah, did the illustrations. Oh, that's so great, isn't it? Mm. Wonderful. Yeah.
1: All right. Are there any questions I haven't asked you that you'd like to answer? <laughs>
0: I think we've probably covered, we covered most things I mean the um, yeah. one thing about this warehouse that you mentioned when you came in through the door um, this is what I call the warehouse it's more of an office seminar it's beautiful. space beautiful yeah um, yeah well, this was just a shell when we got it and it took about six months to um, completely renovate it's everything great. is everything is, but is you don't nourishing. you don't live on the premises or anything. no no it's no. a commercial you've a commercial got place. Paul's got a
1: lovely loft style Office uh, and and it's it's a a building that looks to me like it's heritage, Um, Mm.
0: but that's probably the way we've renovated. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was funny. Meredith said to me, "Well, the publishing got so big that uh, when I started, I did two books the first year in two thousand and seven, and as I said, you know, average now we do about ten to twelve a year." And it got so big, the interns were taking up the lounge room, the kitchen, and the, <laughs> the dining room, etc. And uh, the phones were ringing, the couriers Something were coming. Something had to
1: happen. Something
0: had to happen. And Meredith said to me, go and rent a place. And I thought, yeah, rent a place, $500 a week. No, thank you. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's why we got this place. So this is the first time I've actually had an uh, outside of the, yeah. the home office. How long have you had this? Two years now.
1: It's fantastic. Oh, it's really, really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I must be doing something right. <laughs> I think you're doing a lot of things
1: right, Paul Collins. Ford Street Publishing, I think you should uh, buy everything that they produce because I'm looking at all of the titles here and they look pretty awesome. Thank and you. some awesome writers as well. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks. Have Suzanne. a great day.
0: Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussywriters.com.au. And if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.